Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Rogue Planet, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at SpoilerCountry at gmail.com. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. <laughs> I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, he's a very prolific writer. He's been working on X-Men, The Damned, Helheim, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe. Our own Colin Bunn. Yeah, yeah. He's our own. We own him now. He's one of us. So That's right. He also worked one on- One of I, us. One of one us. One of us. Yes, yes. Let's do the chanting. He also worked over at DC working on Sinestro and Superman, Batman, and Earth 2 and Lobo. Like, I feel like if you just read his bibliography, it'd be a full episode. So yeah. let's not do that. But what we should do <laughs> before we get to the interview- Let's, let's not do that. <laughs> before we get to the interview, though, we should tell them what we want them to do. So we can well, put it in the show. Well, what we're trying to compel them to do, that is for sure. If you're a fan of our show and you've listened to it quite a few times or or maybe just one time and you hear at the very end that we'll tell you that we're an ocean within the ocean of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more. Yep. But we want to know what Cthulhu Cthulhu, I, why do I always say you Cthulhu? You keep putting an N in that word. There's no N. I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. Cthulhu, what does Cthulhu compel you to do? And we think it could be a lot of fun to see what people come up with. And it could be anything at all. Yeah. You know, it could be funny, inspirational, creepy, scary. What the fuck is wrong with this person? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's all open for you to do. Yep. Yep. We're curious what you would put there. So hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and let us know. Yeah. There you guys go. All right. Well, let's get into Colin Bunn because Casey had a lot of fun talking with him. Yeah. All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. My name is Casey Allen, and today we are talking to, oh my gosh, this guy has written so many books. Um, there, there's Dark Ark. There's uh, there, there's all kinds of other stuff. You can find him in Deadpool. You can find him. Oh my goodness, all this stuff. I'm looking at his back catalog right now. Let me just say who it is. It's Colin Bunn. Colin Bunn, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And that was the worst introduction I've ever given anyone on the planet. But awesome. you know what? I feel, I feel I'm, honored. I'm, I feel honored. <laughs> terrible, terrible introduction. 
uh, I'm going to leave it in for posterity because I mean, can't, can't bet a thousand every time, but, uh, this interview, this interview is going to be great because, oh my goodness. You, so. you may be, you may be setting yourself up here. <laughs> okay. So first things first, I got to get this off my chest. I've read several of your books before. I've never heard an interview with you until like earlier today. And just because of the sheer volume and the fact that you do a lot of horror stuff and your name sounds like somebody that might be kin to Benedict Cumberbatch, I thought you were British. <laughs> Are yeah. you as surprised that you're not British as I am? <laughs> I'm pretty well, freaking surprised. <laughs> yes. On the day I was born, I realized I was not British. and I was very disappointed. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's funny because I have a couple of editors who years back when they first met me had never talked to me voice to voice. And they all uh, seemed uh, startled. It's not something I've ever considered being British, uh, but they were all startled that I wasn't. So I don't know. Maybe I should have adopted a terrible British accent. I mean, look, all those all those British comic writers, they're not British. They're all from the country. They're all from rural North Carolina. They just <laughs> So I don't care you know, what any of them say. If you talk to someone with a, a British accent or uh, or Australian, for God's sake, Australian, they're all from rural North Carolina. They just don't want to admit it. Ben, so like they, I have folks up there. You sound like Skater that lives across from my from my grandma so i mean i, I, well, I heard your voice i could talk to this guy okay <laughs> you know what's funny is it, it my accent has i have i mean at this point i've lived outside of north carolina for much longer than i lived in north carolina so i've lost most of my accent so believe it or not how, how did you end up out in you're, you're in st louis yeah, I'm, well, I'm in Missouri, uh, not too far from St. Louis. But, you know, my parents, when I was a young guy, I was in high school. My parents decided that they wanted to buy a 300-acre cattle farm in Missouri. Oh, holy smokes. And uh, <laughs> they, moved, they moved here. They left me behind for a little bit, and then I followed them to Missouri. And then not long after I got in-state residency for college, they moved away again. So they left me. <laughs> they left me oh, wow. here. So, so Missouri's <laughs> home. Back to North Carolina. So, oh, wow. They were so, just trying um, to get rid of me. Can, can, you, can you speak on like your, your path to comics? Like what, what was the first thing that hooked you on comics? I, I have loved comics since I was a kid. I mean, that was my, you know, really my introduction to reading probably more than anything. And I remember vividly, you know, some of the comics I read, you know, in the earliest days of, of comics. And I was always I always wanted to tell stories and I was always drawing and writing my own comics. You know, in, in fourth and fifth grade, I did a series of I, I wrote and drew comics that I would print on my dad's photocopier. And and pass out to all my friends, and and then a few years later, I, I was I went I started going to uh, little local comic book conventions, and I was printing and publishing my own comics, and I just always wanted to tell stories, and and since I loved comics, it was a natural a natural fit for me. Yeah, I think we might have lost Casey. Oh, well, so while we're talking, I just wanted to thank you very much for coming to join us. 
a few three years ago, I was working for Burrow, kind of doing interviews through the email, and you were nice enough to talk Dark Ark with me through an email interview, and I really appreciate that. Oh, of course. Uh, I appreciate helping to, to spread the word. Yeah, I mean, the, the first series was absolutely terrific, and I remember after reading it, um, I think it was only up to issue four or five at the time I um, first spoke to you. I thought to myself, you know, I had to talk to you. That you're you're like the goal interview. I had to talk to Colin Bunn and talk Dark Ark. And that was such a letdown. But... <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it was brilliant. I mean, especially I'm a huge fan of hey. kind of like, hey, Casey, welcome <laughs> back. We were just talking about three years ago. Awesome. Yeah, sorry about that. Y'all, editing it all. <laughs> we will edit it out. But yeah, so anyway, so as we're talking about Dark Ark, I'm just saying I, what I loved about it was the religious aspect of it, how you had you took the idea of God Noah's Ark and you put the attention on Trey and kind of like the devil's ark, as it were. And I thought it was brilliant. It's a brilliant concept. I've learned the, those ideas. I thought to myself, why had, did I never think about that? Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's it's funny because that was a book that honestly I, I've always just considered kind of a joke. I've had it in my head for years, and I I never really thought anyone would ever publish it up until the time that AfterShock said they wanted to to give it a go. And then once they said, you know, and I actually even I think when I pitched it to them, I just sent that one along with several other pitches. And when when they accepted it, I was like, oh, now I have to really figure this thing out. Because it was always just something I amused myself with more than anything up until yeah. that point. So so you went to Aftershock. What brought you to them? What what made you think, hey, Aftershock would be the perfect publisher for Dark Horse? I know you, you work, you write for so many different publishers. Um, you have something for Oni, you have something for Dark Horse, you're with Image. Which Why was Aftershock right for <clears throat> this one? Well, um, I had been talking to Aftershock for years. I mean, I, I, I think I was one of the first people to ever talk to them about doing a project at all before they they put their first books out. And we were working on on I was developing something for them and it just it didn't it didn't work out. Timing was wrong. I had other things on my plate, but I but I always stayed in touch with them and stayed on good terms with them. And then I met with them at a I met with like the entire Aftershock crew at a San Diego comic convention. And, and we just sat down and just kind of just started talking about different kinds of projects. They wanted to work on something. And, and I, I, have a, I have sort of a catalog of pitches that I keep. And, um, it, and these pitches are anything, you know, they're usually a couple of paragraphs or a paragraph in length. Not, nothing more than that. Just real high concept uh, stuff. Yeah. So, I sent them, uh, I, t I took the, after the meeting, I kind of got a feel for what I thought the kind of projects they might like and the kind of, the kind of things that would be right for Aftershock. And then what I did was I took that pitch and I cut everything out that I didn't think was right for them. And, uh, and I sent them the, what was left. So, um, so, so what was your basic pitch Aftershock? Let's look at the devil's Noah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the simple, the simple pitch is we all know the story of Noah's Ark. But what we didn't know is that there was a second arc that was full of all the monsters. And, that's a really uh, and, cool concept. And that's, I mean, it's it's a very simple, you know, it's a very simple pitch, but almost anyone who hears it understands exactly what they're going to get from that book. I mean, you know, like it, it's, it, that's a, of all the books I've, I've done, Dark Arc has the simplest pitch and the easiest pitch for, uh, 
for readers to to gra- grasp. So so you I guess my question is when you were thinking about the miniseries, you also had to ask yourself why will a reader root for or want to connect with Shrey and the monsters, given obviously they're on some level um obviously villainous. There's I mean there's humans on 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 the ship, on the on the original ship. But what what was your your idea for how to make readers want to connect with Shrey and the, the monsters, as it were? Well, I, I put a character, this character Kali on the on the ship, who was very much a nice character. This uh, Kali and Janris are both, you know, protagonists. They're they're good people. So I put them on the ship to to have sort of an easy entry point yeah. for for those characters, but for the readers. But then I also wanted to 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 show these evil characters to show that that some of them while they are evil they or or were evil they have you know characteristics and personality traits that that we can all relate to so you know shrey was definitely a bad guy in a world full of bad people this is the world that that god decided to drown so it was not a you know it's not a good a good world anyway everybody was awful back then but Shrey was a bad guy, but he was seeking redemption and seeking safety for his family, and people can kind of relate to that. And with the monsters, it's it was really a simple matter of making sure that there is always some creature that was worse or more conniving or uh, sneakier or, or sort of a, a scumbag more so than than say the Manticore character, Cruel, who became sort of a, everybody likes uh, the readers really like this character, Cruel. And he became sort of a breakout star, although I didn't intend him to be when I first started <laughs> writing. It. And, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I had, there are characters like unicorns on on Shrey's arc that feel like they shouldn't have been there. They think that they should have been on Noah's arc, but they got the you know, they got put in the wrong place. So I use those, you know, characters <laughs> like that to build up a little sympathy and see things from different angles because the there's so many creatures on Shrey's arc and so many different Different people trying, you know, different monsters forming different factions and different groups that I think there's there were there's a lot of there were just so many different angles I could explore. And like I said, it, it's even a good person can can sort of relate to a, a bad character if there are little characteristics that they can uh, empathize with. Well, one thing um, when when I was creating the questions for this interview, and I I asked a question I did ask you about um, how do you make a sympathetic character after a bad guy like Shrey, but and I was thinking you know especially a villain like Shrey, but then I thought to myself in some way isn't the villain of Dark Heart God on some level? I mean he did just wipe out almost all of life on the planet. He ignored the monsters. He ignored Shrey. Is, is he on some level the villain of your story as well? Well, I think there are people in the world that probably think God is a villain, and because you know the, because of uh, the terrible things that happen in the world every day. And I think there are people that that could see it that way. And there are definitely characters in the world of Dark Ark that probably see that. But that was never a it was never something that I sat down to to write a story with God as the villain. But I could certainly see how that can come across. And, and I can certainly see that some of the characters would feel that way. Especially the, as you said, the, the unicorns and the humans that were left who are on Shrey's ship, they must be thinking, you know, as you said, why me? And they can't be be looking at I me mean, on some level. They have to be thinking the devil actually, on some level, is the one who bailed them out. Well, I mean, the humans maybe not because they are on Shrey's ark as a source of food. But you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I always think, 
how awful the world probably was at that point. And there there are scenes in in Dark Ark where we see what a village might have looked like, and there are you know body parts and sacrificial altars in houses, and the world was in in pretty rough shape. So I've never felt a whole lot of sympathy for most of the people who who drowned in in the world of Dark Ark because they were okay. probably horrible people. But then I also had to assume that not everyone in the world was awful, and that's why we get a character like Janus who is stuck on the ship with you know in this hold full of people who are who are there for food they're basically rations for the monsters but she she definitely doesn't she didn't deserve to drown but she also doesn't deserve to be you know a source of food for creatures sure sure and like are you ever going to go into why the unicorns were not considered i guess worth saving i've thought about that i have not yet and it would mean you know it would basically mean doing a flashback story and and I am doing some flashback stuff. I did uh, I did a free comic book day issue of Dark Art that's a standalone story, but takes place before the first arc of the series. So and it features the unicorns again. They're they're there, and we see them see what they're going through. But maybe so, it might be interesting to see what the unicorns are doing before they even got onto the arc, or how they ended up on the arc. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be. I mean, so many interesting characters that you have on the Dark Arc. I, I can't help but think that. I mean, are you? Did you ever consider doing one shots of these other characters as with their own titles to uh, build up their backstories? Oh yeah, I, you know, I think I consider that stuff all the time. Would you know? And I'd, I'd love to do something like that for sure. I mean, you definitely are the, probably one of the busiest guys in comic books right now, so I'm sure time's an issue, but <laughs> still be fascinating. Yeah, well, fine. There's you know. There's the, always the challenge is finding the the time to 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 tackle, you know, to tackle these projects and and also to you know finding projects that readers are going to be interested in. Now, do you sit down? Because I know right now I believe you have four current titles going on right now. Do you set it up like said like maybe like once a week, one title a week? Do you just do it when the, the mood hits you? Well, it's not one title a week. It, it, you know, I, I work on more than one. I mean, even though there are four titles that are out there, and I don't even know that if that's right. I, I mean, it sounds right, but maybe there's, you know, who knows? Uh, I have trouble keeping track of what's what's being published at any given time. But I'm always working on probably more projects than that, and I kind of just base it on. There's a number of things that 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 drive it, and that's the deadline that's been given to me for the scripts. And my my preference is to be ahead of that deadline by a couple of issues if I can. And then and probably even more important to me than than the deadline that the publisher or the editor gives me is making sure that the artist that I'm working with is never sitting around twiddling their thumbs. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's my goal. I'd love to say that I have maintained a 100 percent success rate in making sure artists are never sitting around twiddling their thumbs. (laughs) <laughs> but there has been a couple of occasions that 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 I've I've failed in my efforts. But I try to to keep that that in mind at all times. Now with Dark Arc, you're doing if my memory is correct. You do about six issues break for a month or two. Six issues break. Am I am I correct on the pattern? Um, I don't know if they if they I don't think they have a long break. I think there may be a month break in there, but I, I'm pretty sure that the the issue of the of whatever you know whatever's coming after the first say five issues are collected i think issue six is on the shelf pretty quick after that 
but I don't remember. You know, Dark Ark ran, the first series ran for 15 issues, and that's all been collected in trade paperback and hardback. And now we're doing this new series, uh, Dark Ark After, After the Flood, and that, you know, we're just in, we're just in the first arc of that right now. Yeah, I'm absolutely loving what you're doing with After the Flood. And I must say, I think the, the boldest thing you, you've done is that you kill off Shrey in the previous series and you start off the brand new protagonist in, you pronounce it Kali, Kali? Yeah. And yeah. I, th- oh. I mean, well, what, what made you decide, you know, on this new series? Um, I mean, obviously you knew in it, um, your previous series you were going to kill off Shrey and create with Kali. What, what drove that decision? I just wanted something uh, I wanted if I, you know, we, we, after the, the, the guys at Aftershock and I had talked about doing sort of a ending the series and starting a new series. And, and I knew if I wanted, if I was going to do that, I wanted the second series to have some significant differences and, mm-hmm. and replacing Shrey with Kali was sort of one of the first big things. I mean, yes, this new story takes place after they have found land but it was just important to me that there were more differences than that even and and shrey is still a player in the story because there's always been dark arcs always had a lot of flashbacks uh and and those continue in after the flood so we get to see you know still see a lot of what shrey was going through before the world was flooded well you have a brilliant uh, character with kali and i guess one of my primary questions is she's now wielding the dark power of Shrey. Now, is the you think the dark magic is more likely to be used pos- positively because of her character, or do you think she's more likely to be corrupted by it? Well, that's a big part of this of this first arc of After the Flood is is that much power corrupting, and and we also have to we'll also see in this arc that these dark powers have in many ways had a plan all along. And uh, and Shrey's daughter has always been a big part of that plan. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you've done a great job. And speaking of great characters, as you as you mentioned, uh, Cruel, too. I mean, like you said, you didn't plan on him probably being as popular as he turned out to be. How great is his character and how big of a picture um, has he turned in or become as in the story now that you're finding that readers love him? Yeah, he's a lot of fun to write. He's a, He's an interesting character and. And he he definitely has a big uh, a big role to play in the series. He he is a new father, which is an interesting you know it's interesting for me to write uh, this story about a monster and this monster's monster being a parent in uh, in uh, in this weird this weird situation this you know this realm of monsters and and also realizing that he, his he has a son. But they're the last two members of their species, so they are a dying. They are they're essentially extinct, extinct already because there's no way to propagate their race. So I just fear this would be a good way to, to uh, wrap up that title. You obviously have Dark Ark, and then Dark Dark after the flood. I assume it's gonna be 50, 15 issues as well. Are there other another miniseries that's gonna follow that one? How far along are you, this mapped and planned? I have sort of a master plan for for Dark Arc, and I would love to see forty five issues out of the series. You know, if I once I pull it all together with you know yeah. Dark Arc and Dark Arc after the flood, it it's all dependent though. It, it it's it's not something I've I've learned my lesson of counting on those things happening just because the comic book industry and comic book readers and comic book shops it's very mercurial. 
who knows if I'll if I'll get to to tell the the story I want to tell. If I if I do, that's amazing. And 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 those are big, you know, those are big triumphs, especially well, just in comics in general, to be able to tell the story you want to tell is is shockingly rare. And to do it with a creator own book is is even more rare. Well, so I hope, but who knows? Well, like I said, I'm sure all your fans are looking forward to seeing the serial come after this one. Can you hint at the potential subtitle for the next um, 15 I, issues? I, after? Do not, I do not have a subtitle for it yet, so I, I can't hint at that subtitle just all yet. Right. No worries. So you have all these books going on right now. Harrow County is is another book that you are very much on and 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 doing. What made you want to return to Harrow County? Well, I never really wanted to leave Harrow County. I, I loved writing those stories, and yeah, in in even as I was working on them, I thought you know it, it's one of those situations where I it, there's a few books of mine where I think to myself I could write these stories forever and, and be happy, but. I also felt that that I also feel it's important that a great story has an ending, and and I wanted to. That's why the original Harrow County has a, a definitive. This is the end of that story. But about that time when we ended it, we we started talking about well, you know, the world of Harrow County is a lot bigger. There's a lot more going on, and we could we could tell more, you know, more stories in, in that world just not connected to the not connected in major ways to that first storyline. I, I didn't want to do something where the first storyline no longer was important. So we talked to uh, Tyler Crook, uh, the artist on on Harrow County and I talked about uh, a lot of possibilities of what we might do if we wanted to return to, to to tell more stories in Harrow County. And we talked about doing stories in the past and anthology stories and and just many many different uh, variations but i had this idea for for this 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 new story in tales tales from harrow county featuring bernice anderson who was one of the the secondary characters in the original series and was a character that that i that i always love so we wanted so to tell something with her that that has a little bit of a uh, meat to it i guess yeah, yeah. So that that's why you kind of switched the the story from from Emmy to to, to Bernice. Then yeah, Emmy Emmy's story was pretty much done at that point, and Bernice was a more interesting character to me when we started Tales from Harrow County, and uh, and I think there's a big story to tell with her. We're approaching it a little differently. So Tales from Harrow County was an original. Death's Choir was the original four issue miniseries. And then we will follow that up with another four-issue miniseries that continues Bernice's story. But it'll be more of a series of miniseries rather than an ongoing the way Harrow County was. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to to keep telling, I guess, more, you know, just selected tales in the yeah, tales of Harrow County? Well, you know, it's interesting because the Bernice story, originally I was just going to tell you know, this one story, and then we tell another story that was maybe, you know, not connected at all. But I think this, this Bernice story, as I was working on it, a new, uh, a larger story unfolded in my mind. So I'm working now, you know, I'm working towards a, a much bigger story. We're just telling it in smaller miniseries. 
Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So uh, eventually the, the hole is going to yes turn into like this one big mega story or tapestry Correct. of yeah. the, the the stories will the the mini series will connect into a in, into a much more i guess epic story once it's all said and done after reading some of your books you're you're like the the 3d chess type type thinker you you have yeah you got some layers man so well um, at least it looks that way. Sometimes, I, <laughs> sometimes I do, and a lot of times it, I'm winging it. So, so tell me, like this is more, I guess, nuts and bolts. But the art on the book is done by Naomi Frank Frankies. Did I say yes. that right? Yeah. R- rather than Tyler Cook, what was the decision behind that? I guess was he already occupied with with a different with a different property, or yeah, you just Tyler. Wanted to- yeah, Tyler was already uh, working on some other projects, one of them being Manor Black, which is another book that that I'm doing with Dark Horse. So he was and he, and he has a lot of other things that, you know, that I think he's writing and drawing some books of his own and, th- and things like that. So he just didn't have the the capacity to do the illustrations and the watercolors the way he has uh, previous. So we had to find an an artist who we thought could fill Tyler's shoes and and naomi i thought just had such a great you know a, a great it, her style fits into to what tyler had done before but she's not aping it's not aping style. it at all yeah, it's, yeah. It's, her own, it's her own it's her own style her own take but it, it it absolutely plays well in the world of harrow county yeah some really fantastic stuff and so that that leads me to another question in regards to your creative teams that you work with when you are able to, you know, decide who you're working with. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming when you work for, you know, one of the big two, you don't really have much options as to who your art team is. I th- I well, think it's definitely, you have, you have some say sometimes, but it's a, it's definitely a different situation than, than when you're doing a, a creator own book for sure. Yeah. Well, you got that Cullen Bun Cloud, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I take it back. I don't have any say when it comes to. <laughs> so, so what? What is your decision like? What is your process in deciding who you're working with on, on your creator own books? Well, a lot of times with the creator own stuff, it's something that I develop with the artist, and sometimes I, I'm talking to the artist in very very early on stages so tyler and i were talking about you know harrow county before it became harrow county and uh, you know uh, for instance the damned that I, which was one of my first professional project and and the six gun another book i did with brian hurt yeah. we were developing those books together so those are you know that's finding an artist who wants to work with me and wants to develop a project with me and and figuring out something that we can both get very excited about. That's um, awesome. In other cases, you know, it, it, it's not as frequent, but sometimes I I'll pitch a you know a project to a publisher without an artist attached, and and the the publisher will will look for artists for me, and 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 we'll talk about they'll introduce me to different artists, and we will look through different styles and different portfolios and and figure out who I think has a great 
style for you know for the book and and that's the that's the key is finding someone who's going to you know has a good a good style that complements the book but also brings something new to it and kind of elevates the pitch and and that's that's what you 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 hope to find every time uh you start looking for a, a new artist for a project that's awesome is there anyone out there that's really knocking your socks off that you're just chomping at the bit to work with <laughs> there are there are so many so many artists uh out there that 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 i would love to work with there's uh i mean it's it's a it's a very long list of artists more than i will ever in my in my life be able to be able to uh, fulfill and you know and, and and it's 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 weird because you know there are certain artists who i really want to work with that things are starting to come together on some projects i can't announce that uh, it sounds like i'll be working with some different people there's one artist that i feel has, it's never come together for us and that uh chris somni and i um oh yeah he's fantastic chris and i have been very good friends for for a long time and the first some of the very first things I pitched before the damned was coming out. So there are there are three or four pitches in my archive folder that are, you know, full of Chris Somni art where we were working on a project together and it just never it never came together. And we have not we've not worked together on on anything that has been published. So Chris would be one I'd really love to work with only because uh, it, it feels like we were in it together at the very beginning. We were both trying to break in at the same time and, and, you know, work on projects together. And it's just never happened. Uh, you, you're pretty prolific, man. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll happen eventually. <laughs> How about we, we shift gears a little bit to talking about Unearth? Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what our Unearth is, the sales pitch? Sure. Unearth is a, a book I'm doing with Image. It's co-written by Kyle Strom and illustrated by Baldemar Rivas. It is an action horror title. It's uh, the story. There's this, this, flesh warping disease that has surfaced in Mexico and a group of scientists and a military ex escort track the source of this disease into this cavern system. And then once they get into the cavern system, everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. And they realize they are in the middle of a, a supernatural nightmare. So it's a lot of, a lot of body horror, a lot of gunplay, a lot of, a lot of tough, tough characters facing tougher situations. You seem to like your body horror a lot. <laughs> well, who doesn't? <laughs> I, I, well, it's it's awesome. And I, I just uh, read, Jeff, do you have any more questions about Unearth? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hit, hit that up first because I, I, I want to talk about this rogue planet, but Unearth, yeah, go ahead and do that. So tell me about Kyle uh, Strom to work with. If there's anything you want to say negatively about him, now's your time. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything negative to say about Kyle. Kyle's a a good friend. He's a he's a talented creator. He's obviously a talented artist. If you've read Spread, you've seen his his work. And 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 speaking of body horror, he's a he's a fan of that. But he he and I just have complementary sensibilities when it comes to to horror stories and the and the kind of weird wacky stories we want to to tell now the thing that always surprises me i'm i like to uh, write and obviously i'm nowhere near your, where you are but i still do um, write comic books and i always think it's interesting how do two writers 
work on one title? What's the process like? Well, it's different. I've co-written with a lot of different people over, you know, over the years. And and it's often different. The way I like to do it and the way we we work on Unearth for the most part is we outline the series together. Uh, we outline the issue. You know, the series is already, we know what, where the story's going, but then we sit and we outline the issues together and we kind of break it down uh, first by scenes and how many pages we think each scene's going to take. And then we divvy up those scenes. Uh, and so Kyle might take pages one through three and I have pages four through seven and he has eight, nine and ten. And I have page 11 and he has 12 and 13. We break it down based on the scenes we're most excited about, the ones we really want to tackle, the ones we think we can do the best job with. And uh, we each write these separate scenes based on the outline. So we know where I know where Kyle's scene is going to end. So I know where mine needs to pick up. And so we write those separately and then we take them. We merge those documents together and we smooth it out. So that hopefully no one can really tell who is writing which scene. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. Let's take let's take, let's take a tons of organization. It could probably be more organized sometimes. <laughs> I think with, with Unearth, I think Kyle and I both feel a little disorganized occasionally. But yeah, it does take a little bit of organization, a lot of back and forth, and a, a lot of watching these documents and a lot of color coding of our outlines so we know who is writing the blue pages and who's writing the red pages. Well, <laughs> I mean, one really interesting thing about Unearth is. There's obviously, like I said, there's like a virus aspect, plague aspect to the story. And obviously now we're living in the time of Corona. Do you think that adds an extra layer of creepiness to the series that you've created? Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, current times make everything feel a little creepier. But, you know, yeah, especially that first arc, Unearth kind of takes a big turn at, in the second arc uh, and becomes less of this virus story and, and more, I mean, more something very, very different. But yeah, if I'm not 100% sure that I would have written Unearth even or started Unearth at post post coronavirus, it, it, it would have probably struck me a little too close to home, maybe. Gotcha. No, that's totally that's totally understandable. I think one of the interesting things that you talk about in issue six is the idea of how quickly people adjust the change. And my question, I got two questions on that one. First, do you still believe that people will adjust so quickly to such an, an abrupt change in their lives? And two, why do you think people are so naturally adaptable to searching for normalcy and adapting to, to that change? Well, I do think people will continue to change. I think right now we're going through some very rapid changes. And even if you think about self-isolation and social distancing, those changes, you know, <laughs> So many people are going through that right now and and they're dealing with it. And you can but I mean, let's say it's not it's not not everybody, not everybody's uh, adjusting. I mean, we're watching, you know, you can watch a video where people just have to go to the beach and party because they don't want to uproot their routine. And and I think some people just I think the people who can change can change and adapt to change they have a stronger survival instinct. And I think that comes out in situations like this. And none of us have a perfect survival instinct. We have to lean on other people and friends and family. But I think it's just, it's it's all a survival instinct to, to you know, face these, these changing times. This is, 
very much the biggest change, you know, I, I think I've faced in my life. I think, you know, when I think of a time of change in the world itself, this is it. You know, this is a big one. I, um, I, I 100% and, agree with you. And I don't know what it's going to look like on the on the other side of it. But I damn sure would like to survive to see it. And, yeah. and that's that's what I that's why I think people as, a, you know, people as a whole, nobody likes change. You know, the the, the old phrase was the only person who likes change is the bus driver. Um, <laughs> but nobody likes change. But I feel like we people as a whole can ad- address it because we have a survival instinct. It's ingrained in us. It's it's deep down in our DNA. We want to survive and being able to to change and adapt to change is part of that. Well, I think another interesting interesting thing about Unearth is that there's another is also has kind of um, religious connotations to it, similar to Dark Ark. And I guess my my question on that one is: Do you think it's it's natural um, that in times of chaos that people will resort to worship? And is that kind of why you place that into your series as a way to kind of reflect that certain part of the population would obviously go in that direction in in times of chaos? Well, I think people do. I don't know that I, I sat down and said, let's, you know, do a treatise on faith during times of chaos. I'm always I've always been fascinated by faith and religion. And and it surfaces again and again in a lot of my books and different takes on religion, different approaches to faith. Those are there are things that that I'm just I've always been interested in in one way or another. Has some of that interest in religion kind of come out in dark arc specifically, like any of your your own personal views? Maybe. I don't know. And I've been asked questions like that before. How much of your personal view is reflected in dark arc? And obviously, because I'm writing it, there are going to be some of my, you know, my beliefs surface in that. But at the same time, a lot of that is has nothing to do with what I believe. And it's, it's not, I don't, I don't try to write stories where I'm getting on a soapbox and, and preaching about certain, you know, certain things that I believe in. I write stories that maybe tackle questions I have or interests I have. And, and yes, some things that I believe in will come across in these stories, but I also write stories about characters who have vastly different belief systems than I have. And I don't have a lot of interest in, in, in writing stories that are just reflections of the things I believe. I would rather write stories about, yeah, it has some of what I believe, but also deals with other, with what other people believe and, and what other people might be thinking and questions others have. And I write characters who, who behave vastly differently than I would behave in a situation. And I love writing those characters. So the answer is yes, but I couldn't point to any specific area where I'm like, oh, yeah, here's where I'm really going to I'm really going to nail my readers with what I believe about the flood. You know, so. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, speaking of people that believe in things vastly different than what we believe, we, we get a glimpse of that in the first two pages of your new comic rogue planet if you'd like to talk about that a little bit and i'm not gonna spoil anything but holy crap by that second page i was hooked and uh immediately i was like holy no it took me a second to remember what scene you were talking about but I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah that's a that's a horrible scene 
It's it's terrible, and and absolutely is not not something that 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 any any sane person would say was a situation they believe in. But and and it it ties into faith again in in Rogue Planet, v- very uh, Old Testamenty yeah. type faith. Yeah, it's for a, sure. So, yeah, Rogue Planet, you know, is something that started for me as just I wanted to do something that was sort of a love letter to the science fiction horror stories that I like so much, Alien and The Thing and Event Horizon, oh, yeah. you know, and and those those kind Speaking of stories, body horror. Yeah, and 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 that's what it starts starts as, and then it it goes into some 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 very strange territory, <laughs> and it's a five issue series coming out from Oni, um, with Andy McDonald on illustration and Nick Filardi doing colors. It's an exciting book for me because it's the first Oni book, new Oni book I've done in in a little while, and it's also it's a book, and I say new Oni book, but. This is a book I've been working on for several, several years now. It, I, I've read before that you have like just a a file folder of of ideas that you, you put down and eventually <laughs> you might get to it. Is this one of those that, that was in the back catalog? No, this was one that I, I came up with. Uh, I was going to call up my email and see when I first sent it to Oni. But several, several years ago, I was at Powell's Books with my frequent collaborator, Brian Hurt. And we were just talking about books and looking at the science fiction section and looking at the horror section. And then we went to the, the little coffee shop attached to it. And, uh, and I had my notebook out and I just wrote down the words Rogue Planet. And I said to Brian, I really want to do a science fiction horror story. And, and we just we talked just a little bit about it. And then I wrote the pitch for it on the plane ride back home from Portland to St. Louis. And I sent the pitch in to Oni probably within a week of of that. It just that was a situation where they suggested Andy McDonald, who I'm a huge fan of. And with Andy's schedule, it was a book that I had to wait for him to be able to to draw it because he was very busy. But I thought it was worth waiting on uh, because he's such a, a talented artist. Oh, yeah. This his his work in this is so. <sighs> Creepy is is a good describer. <laughs> I mean, his he has a ton of really really tiny details in this. It just yeah, he he doesn't hold back and he doesn't skimp visceral. on yeah he doesn't skimp on the creepy details. No, um, not at all. Which is another reason it took him a while to you know to be able to draw it, and then you know it's just been. You know, it it takes a while, as you can imagine, to draw a a story like that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your your bread and butter is is kind of of horror. You started off in in that genre for the most part. Is is that correct? Yeah, I, I've especially always, with your prose stuff. Yeah, I've always been. I've always been drawn to to horror it's it's always been something that I, I feel comfortable working in in that genre and and i think there's a lot of a lot of of story potential to harvest in in horror and the the subgenres of horror and i like all sorts of stories but i absolutely am most comfortable writing the creepy stuff is it hard for you to switch kids because you you've done so many other 
types of comics and, and, and writing, but is it hard for you to switch gears between, uh, especially like right now you have like four books ongoing. Is it hard to switch gears going from one script to another? Do you have to take some time in between it and just go, all right, I have to reset my brain for a minute. Or do you just, are you able to just turn it on when you need it? For the, for the most part, I can make the switch without uh, having to do a whole lot of resetting. Sometimes for palate cleansers, you know, I don't know, but as an example, if I were writing something that's a dark, dark horror story, and then I'm shifting to something that's much more of an action action story, I might, I might watch some action movies that I think are in the same vein or read some books or stories that I think are in the same vein just to, to kind of cleanse the palate and, and get me ready. But for the most part, I don't necessarily have the I can't afford the time to spend a lot of downtime between projects. Oh yeah, I can imagine. I'm just glad you didn't say oh, sit sit around and watch cat videos. <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know if I was writing a cat story, maybe I, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but no, I, I usually will shift pretty. I can usually shift pretty easily. That's that's amazing. So you you've done a lot for Marvel. You you've hit pretty much. Th- there are a lot of characters that you've worked with in that universe. Is there anyone in particular that you want to revisit or haven't had the chance to work with that you, you want to try? Uh, there, there are many characters that I'd love to write, you know, or, or write again. I'd love to write more Magneto stories. I, I feel like I've, I've never, I cannot get enough of, of yeah, that dude. character. And I had some plans for for that character that I would have loved to have seen unfurl. And, you know, who knows, maybe one day. And any of the and the same can be said for Sinestro at D.C. is a character I would love to to write again. But any of the the Marvel, the darker characters at Marvel or D.C. would would be, you know, would be something I'd love to to tackle. Any of the, the D.C. horror characters from hellblazer to the demon to clarion the witch boy or blue devil any of those kind of characters i'd love to write as swamp thing that would be a you know a, a dream character for me and, and you know at marvel same thing i'd love to to tackle some of the horror characters uh from marvel slate for sure I, I really think that marvel is kind of missing an opportunity to to pull out some of their their really really good classic horror characters and well it sounds I mean, like every doing, now and then. yeah it sounds like they're doing something with some of them even some mini series stuff uh i think they announced didn't they announce a new werewolf by night series i um, think so yeah yeah and uh, so they're doing some uh, i think horror characters for marvel or dc they haven't figured out how to make them work yet and, uh, and especially not in the long run uh, so, so that can be, you know, in horror superheroes, it's, it's, it's tough for a lot of, I think it's tough for some creators to figure out how to make those stories work. And, uh, and I think it's, it's tough to see how to, to, to sell those, those stories for some publishers. I'm doing, uh, Shadow Man for, for Valiant. And, uh, and I think that I'm going to, you know, that's going to be a horror series with a superhero in it, but it is absolutely a horror book. And I, I think I'm onto something special with that series. I'm, I'm excited for people to read it because it's going to be different from from 
from almost anything else on the shelf. That's awesome. I actually wanted to bring that up. It seems to be working on on coming into back into the comic scene in a big bad way, and they're really putting out some amazing titles. Was that something that was offered to you, or was did you propose that uh, storyline to them, or how did that come about? So the editor. So I'd done some stuff with Valiant. I, I did the Punk Mambo limited series, which was, you know, supernatural horror character in the Valiant universe. And then the editor of Shadow Man, Heather Antos, uh, and I had worked together at Marvel quite a bit. And I've actually known Heather since before she was working at, in as an editor in comics. Uh, so I've known her for, for years in one form or another. And, uh, and she... I don't remember who reached out to who. I think I might have sent a tweet about wanting to write some horror characters, <laughs> you know, and and she she messaged me and said, it's funny, you should say that because I want to talk to you about something. And she contacted me and, and asked if I was interested in pitching a story for for Shadow Man. So I sat down and came up with, you know, my take on what I would do with that character and where I would take the series over you know, several arcs and, and what I what I would bring to the, the book that would be different than what has been seen before and with that character. And luckily they liked it. So so there we go. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So do you mind if we talk a little bit about nuts and bolts of yeah, that's uh, your creation? So okay. You're you're a dad, you have a family and you work from home. Yes. This is something that a lot of people right now, thanks to the the craziness that we're experiencing uh, everywhere, a lot of people are having to learn how to work from home. Do you have any tips for anyone about how to basically compartmentalize you, you know that work and then dealing with your family and being present at, at both things? Yeah, you know it's it's tough and and. It, and it, it is there's a learning curve to it, and and people need to to be patient with themselves because it's 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 surprisingly um, difficult to get into how to how to do this at home, especially during a sort of a stressful time like right now. I would I would be lying if I said that this week I've been anywhere near as productive as I usually am. And and the reason is I've been a little stressed and and that has you know destroyed some of my product productivity for the week. So you can't be too hard on yourself about some of those things. But you know, there there are some things you can do that that might help. Yeah, I think the biggest one is this one is easy to forget sometimes, especially when you're crazy busy. Is first thing in the morning, take a shower and get dressed. Don't wear your pajamas all day. Because when you wear the pajamas all day, it's very easy to to just think you're goofing off and lounging around. So I start the day. I start it just like I, if I had, you know, a regular nine to five job like I used to have. I get up and I do breakfast and I get dressed. I take a shower and I get dressed and I go to work. And and I have work hours. I'm lucky enough that I can be flexible so that if if something comes up during the day, I could, you know, take a break. And, you know, for a couple of hours or go have lunch with my wife for, you know, an hour or so and then come back and I can add that hour on at the end of the day. 
But I would say if you can, if you have separate workspace, utilize it. Um, you don't need to necessarily be in front of the, the TV trying to work. I don't work in a room with a TV. Um, I, you know, I have an office space that I head to and, and I work. Me, I'm used to it at this point. For the most part, I work from about 8.30 until about 5.30 every day. And, and that's where I am. I think it, it helps. I, I could definitely see, especially the, the no TV, because it, it just seems like a, a great way to distract yourself. Um, oh, believe me, there are times I want to turn on TV and watch some TV for a little bit, but I know I can lose several hours doing that. And probably the dumbest thing I ever did was put a couch in my office. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> because, uh, you know, the lure of the couch is 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 pretty strong but i'm too lazy to move the couch back out so it's here i just have to you know i have to resist i know that i try to write and i'll lay i know as soon as i lay down and get a little <laughs> bit too comfortable on that couch i will pass right out yeah you um, gotta be careful of it for sure <laughs> so so you you have a pretty good method for achieving your worth your work life balance so when you first started and you were just getting into comics, you still had your nine to five. Yes. What was that deciding factor to when you, when you could leave that and go to comics full time? What was, what was the tipping point? Uh, there were, there were a lot of things uh, going on. Even a week before I, I decided to go full time. I remember I was at a signing. And, and I told someone that I was there at the signing with, I said, I, I was just in my mind turning over the possibilities of being a full-time writer. And I looked at him and said, there's no way this is ever going to work for me. I, I just can't make it work. Um, and that was just a week, a week later, I was a full-time writer. Um, that's that's insane. It was, it was, I, I was starting to get a little bit of work at Marvel. I was starting to get some work at DC so I could see, you know, where money was coming in and my boss and I got into a, an argument <laughs> and I went back to my office at the day job and I called my wife and I asked her, I said, my boss and I just got into a real big argument. I'm right. She's wrong. <laughs> and will you give me six months to try to make full time writing work? And she agreed to give me a, a chance to write full time and, and it paid off. It was, it was the right time. It was the, the, the right moment. There were a lot of factors. We had a, you know, uh, what we were paying for our house at the time and our mortgage and, you know, she had insurance. That sounds terrifying. Uh, and, and it was, it was, it was scary. And I sit here and think about things, you know, thinking about it right now. If I was at that full-time job today with knowing what bills are and what insurance is and everything, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be able to be a full-time writer. And, and every day I, I think that it's not going to work, especially the last two years. have been a, a pretty substantial struggle for me in comics. The first, ten, the first eight years of, of being a full-time writer was amazing for me. The last two years have been really tough. It's, it's not an easy business. And I have uh, not a day in the last two years has gone by that I haven't doubted where I am and, and what's going to happen next. So and, and that's that's heightened even right now. It's heightened even more. 
So yeah, uh, I, I can imagine because this, I mean, it's, it's scary for everybody. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's tough for everybody out there. It's not easy, and, and it's a leap of, you know, we talked about faith earlier. It was a leap of faith, and it paid off, but writing full-time is is awesome. But a lot of the time that I could spend writing, especially right now, is spent figuring out paths to victory. And, yeah. and how, you know, what what do I do next that's going to to make this work? And, and sometimes those answers are very, you know, they're not forthcoming. Well, one question that I have about that is given the current situation, how do you think comic books are going to adapt to what's happening right now, especially the, with publishers and how that's going to affect your schedule and how you approach what's coming next? Well, I wish I had that answer. And it's, it's a question, you know, I've, uh, my phone has been, I've been on the phone quite a bit the last couple of days talking to, to other creators and all of us wondering what it's, what it's going to look like. I don't have that answer yet. I know that comic book stores right now, comic book stores in the very best of situations, the very best of best world, comic book stores are a tough business. And right now it's so much more difficult for them. And it terrifies me thinking of what could happen to the local comic shops in the world right now, which is why, you know, you'll see me say over and over again on social media and on my newsletter and things, you got to support your local comic shops, find out if they're open. Are they doing services like curbside delivery or curbside pickup? You know, don't forget your pull and hold lists. If you if you have a subscription list at a, a comic book shop. Consider if you have the means, which is I understand that not everybody does consider gift gift cards and things like that in the meanwhile, because I would very much like to see the the comic book store continue to be a presence in the world. And, and, And that's, you know, I think that may be sort of the first line of defense is figuring out how to to help these comic book shops survive these difficult times. Now, and I think that's fantastic that you're worrying about the local comic shop. I mean, one thing I'm worrying about is the professional writers and artists. I mean, you guys, I assume, are under independent contractors. Am I correct? Yeah, for the most part. For I mean, the different. It's different for different creators. I, you know, I can talk about myself. I'm absolutely. I'm an independent contractor across the board. Yeah. Um, now, some other creators may have exclusives, but they're still freelancers. So. It's it's absolutely going to be very difficult on creators, both creators who who are sort of the, the part time creator or, or, you know, there are there are a lot of creators out there who really rely on conventions for a big part of their uh, income every year. Yeah. And, and now with conventions postponing and canceling it, they're taking a hit and that's money they can't count on. And so they're going to suffer. And then, and then, yes, who knows if it's tough to say what's going to happen with, with publishing schedules and uh, comic book distribution. I don't have the answers of, of where, where that's going to be. But, yes, it could impact it, – it, well, it will impact uh, the comic book creator. I mean, yeah, especially because – I mean, there's some publishers that seem like they're talking about – having to delay um, series, having to maybe lessen their distribution. 
um, especially because comic book stores, a lot of them aren't open. The ones near right. uh, that I go to are shut down. So right. I imagine if they're not um, dis- distributing comics, they're not accepting further issues from people in my, or are they still taking, like if you make a new, another issue of our dark arc, another issue of on earth, are publishers accepting those issues or are they shutting, are they closing down and saying, guys, hold off on submitting to us uh, any more project uh, issues well, or whatever. I mean, and there are, there are definitely some of my, you know, I've, I've talked to some publishers who've talked about delaying the schedule, delaying the release schedule and things like that. At this point, I haven't, I haven't, found the the production side from my my side of things hasn't been hasn't been hit but good but it's coming i mean i i know it is and that's you know and that's why you know i was saying earlier i think you know i i have to sit down and really think about what let's say i'm not working on any paying work (laughs) what's the path the path to victory and when i say path to victory i mean what's the path to me being able to pay my bills right right and I think a lot of comic creators are pro- a lot of publishers too. They're all thinking, you know, they're thinking the same thing. What do we, you know, what, you know, what do we do to make this work in the meanwhile, in the future? And, you know, the, the other difficulty is everybody's going to hurt a little bit here. Uh, yep. And, and people are across the board. There's going to be some tightening of the belts and, and that's going to be uh, you know, be an issue that that we're all going to have to to face together. Yeah, I mean, what ner- makes me nervous about the industry is that comic book collecting is very much almost habitual. You know, you every month you go out, or oh, sorry, every week you go out, you buy your comic books for that week, you do it again the next week, you sit down, you read. It's it's definitely something that's your routine. And with the disruption, one thing that could happen as well is that obviously comics will start being uh, distributed more digitally. Which, once again, if that becomes a new habit, what's going to happen to the stores and the artists when things do open back up and people are done with the stores and are got <laughs> comfortable buying digital again? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 absolutely it's absolutely fair to say that to to say that um, you know, buying habits are going to change. And and that's uh, you know it's it's scary. And then the question is, if those buying habits change, how do the publishers and how do the creators adapt to to face those buying habits? And how do we what do we do to get people to go back into a store if they haven't gone into a comic shop in a couple of months and they've gotten out of the habit of doing it? You know, how do you get them back in? And, exactly. And those, you know, and I just as we were just as we were talking here, it just dawned on me what free comic book day, typically the first week in May. Yeah. So I had to go check and see. And, and sure enough, they've delayed it or postponed it. I don't think they've announced the date yet, but hopefully, you know, we'll have something like free comic book day to help get people back into the stores again. I mean, I would hope so. I mean, once again, also, you're looking at social distancing, distancing and things of that nature. And yeah, I mean, it's it's rough. This is probably going to be the greatest disruption to comic books since the 1950s. Seduction of the Innocent came out. You know, people start telling kids they can't read comic books anymore. I th- it's looking like we're could be seeing something similar as that level of disruption. Yeah, yeah, it's not to bum you out. <laughs> oh, you believe me, you can't bum me out any more than I've been than I'm bummed out already. <laughs> and and that's the other thing I would say. Just we talk about surviving working from home. 
try to do some things that cheer you up occasionally. I know you're stuck in the house, but try to try to think about about some some happiness in your life, uh, whether that's watching a TV show that you love. Like I'm rewatching Parks and Recreation because oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that show is so positive. You can't help but feel good when watching it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, do things you enjoy. Don't forget to enjoy yourself a little bit as much as you can. Um, but yeah, I don't, I wish I, if I had that crystal ball that could tell me what comics are going to look like after all this is over, you know, I don't think it will be the same. I think things are going to change, but I just don't know how. So, and, and, and I know a lot of people are, are doing things to keep people interested in comics and, and, and keep people energized about it. I mean, I'm releasing a bunch of my comics on PDF for free for people to read right now. Less about less about trying to sell comics and more about just trying to give people something to to look forward to and be, you know, you're cooped up and you can't get out. You can't get to the comic shop. Here's some free comics. So hopefully I'll keep people interested in in comic books as well. And it, it'll be something that'll carry over when when this all blows over. They can it can be something that they can turn back to and, and a, remember. That. Well, that's a great thing you're doing, I think. I only just started like I only just. And I'm releasing them on my Patreon page, yeah. but it's open to the public. So there's a lot of features on my Patreon that are that are behind a paywall, or I, I ask for you know patrons to 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 contribute money. But I'm putting a lot of comics starting today. I'll be putting every couple of days. I'll be putting more comics out there for people to read. Well, that, well, that's that's great. Obviously, um, money's tight all around, especially as time goes on. What can your, other than your Patreon, or especially with your Patreon, what can your your fans do to help you out also during this period of time? Well, you know, the, the Patreon helps. Just, if, like I said, if you're ordering books, if, you know, books are being delivered, you know, from your comic shop or, or, or wherever you get books from, you know, you can find plenty of my books out there in trade and comics and just stay uh, in the loop on the things that are going on. I have a newsletter that that I, I put a lot of content out on and keep people up to date on what I'm doing and and where I'm where I'm posting stuff. I have a couple of podcasts that I that I'm involved in just keeping sort of a content flow out there that a lot of it costs nothing. Stick with me and follow follow along and and when you find the means and, and the interest in, in reading something that I'm working on, there are obviously plenty of places you can buy books digitally, but there's there's Patreon, there's digital comics, there's ordering books from your favorite bookseller. But definitely, if your shops are open and, and trying to make books available to you, I would I would encourage people to to first try to seek books out at the their local comic shop. Definitely. Well, we've been talking for about an hour and a half. I think we'll set up shut down all right one thing before you do go though once again you were absolutely fantastic and i really appreciate you guys um appreciate you talking to me for and us me and casey for um as long as you did it was um, a wonderful conversation we do appreciate it the one thing we would like you to do is can you do like a colin bun and you're listening to spoiler country Uh, sure sure you ready for me to do that yeah right now Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Rogue Planet, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Thank you so much. You you are absolutely awesome. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, man. Awesome. Uh, anytime. I, I appreciate it. You know, this is these are weird times for us all, right? So we're going to get through it. You guys keep doing what you do because I, I do believe it helps. 
So thank you so much. Hey, hey, real quick, another thing before we go. Yeah. Give us a shout out to your favorite, just some favorite comic shops. Who do you go to? So, so interesting. Right. Interestingly enough, you know, I had a great comic shop here where, you know, where I live and they closed down and it not because of uh, current events, but they closed down a little while ago and it, it really crushed my spirits with, with my, my comic book purchasing. So I don't have what I would consider a local comic shop that I go to. There are some great ones. There's, and there's so many, I, you know, I could mention tons of comic shops all day long and, and not, not mention. And, and I'd obviously, you know, I'd forget one or two. My buddy, Jimmy Z Johnston, who has co-written some comics with me in over the years, he owns a comic shop in Cuba, Missouri called Little Shop of Comics. And, and it's a great little shop. I mean, it, it, he is, he's got a very small shop, but, but it's a labor of love. And and that's a great store. I love Powers Comics, which is in Green Bay, Wisconsin. That was the store I was going to be doing a free comic book day at this year. And obviously, I mean, who what? And 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 probably still will. We just don't know when it's getting what the date is going to to be. You know, so so that's a great a great store in Lawrence, Kansas. There's a store called Chops Comics. That I was actually supposed to be signing at in a couple of weeks. That that's been delayed, but that's a great store. I love Challengers Comics in Chicago. Has always been hugely, hugely supportive of of our work. Distant Planet Comics in Columbia, Missouri. I could just keep going on and on. Oh really, God. yeah. Uh, you. <laughs> uh, I, I love comic shops. There's so many great stores, and and I'm actually on Twitter. Uh, I'm kind of as much as possible retweeting what stores are saying, what stores are doing, some promotion or different services or or they're trying to stay open or, or whatever I'm uh, or people just want to tell me what their favorite comic book store is I'm making sure I, I try to signal boost them as much as possible right now that's awesome I mean they're the lifeblood of of the comics industry no comic shops no no comics no direct market no yeah who knows store. right yeah yeah I mean we don't have spinner racks anymore so that's where I started and then I got old enough to drive, and uh, where did I go? One of the first places I went, comic shop. Right. So. Yep. Colin For Bonner, sure, guys. Thank you again. Dude, it's yeah, been a thank, pleasure talking to thanks you. Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And we'll we'll shout this this new book from the rooftops. And, man, I, I can't wait to read the rest of them because they're amazing. Or it's, it's well, amazing so that. far. I appreciate that, guys. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. Thank All you. right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Right. So, what'd you think, man? I think it was great. Yeah. I mean, he, he's done a lot. He's done a lot, man. I follow him on Twitter. He's, I, li- I, like, I, like, I like his tweets, but and I like his books, too. He's a great writer, and uh, I was excited to have him on. I actually wanted to be on this interview. Like, I legit wanted to be on it with Casey. Yeah, but the time it was that the day it was that I just I wasn't available and Casey did did great obviously like he always yeah. does, I just was sad because like, man I really wanted to be on this interview but you know hopefully we can convince him to come back on sometime so we can talk to him because the guy's written a lot of stuff. Yeah, he'll come back on. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun. Well, there you guys go. Another great interview in the books. And if you want to listen to more of those, head over to spoilerverse.com, and there is so much for you to enjoy. 
There's so, so, so much. It's kind of insane how many people we've talked to and the kind of shows that we have and that kind of people we talk. It's, it's, it's all inspiring. Like every, every day that we have a new show episode coming out, I'm like, how did we get to where we can talk to all these great people and they want to come on our show and we get them on our show. It's just, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's one of the joys of my life is doing this show and talking to people and having them on and, and having people interact with us. Yep. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you did do me a favor, do us a favor. Yeah. Go to iTunes or Google play and just maybe leave us a review. It helps us tremendously. And then, Possibly share it out if you really want to. Yeah, because that's sharing in that review. That Well, the sharing tells people you like us, and the review helps sharing people find caring. us. Yeah, sharing is caring, for sure. And what you can also do, when you go to our website, spoilerverse.com, and check out all the free content we have there behind no paywall whatsoever, and you enjoy all of our podcasts, you know, us and Boys and the Geekdoms and Misery Point Radio and all the other ones out there that we always, you know, shake it out when we talk about for the most part, click on that button to store at the top. Go to our T Public store. We have T-shirts and hoodies and all all the plethora of stuff that's offered there. You can get with our logos on them. To one, look fly as hell as you walk around and show everybody that you have great taste in podcasts. And two, help support us to pay the bills, keep the lights on, to keep this stuff going for you and providing it for you, essentially at no cost. I know no cost. Asking you to buy something and saying no cost is kind of backwards, but it is no cost. And this is just extra stuff you can do if you want to help out. You don't have to do it, but it'd be great if you did. All right, there you guys go. I hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget, in Oceans of Podcast, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and tell us what Cthulhu compels you to do. And you can hear yours right here. Uh,